I saw Elemental last night. What's Elemental? It's the new Pixar movie. <gasps> oh, wait, yeah. it looks really cute. Did you like it? It it was 10 out of 10 cute as f- It was Aww. so cute. Pixar, they don't miss. I was like, there hasn't been a single Pixar movie I haven't balled at. And this one's no exception. I don't know what. I don't know when that like became part of the like fabric of Pixar movies that they like have to tear your soul out of your body and then put it back in. Up. But it was up. It was... <laughs> Did up? Oh you my up god! Bad when you first saw that, you know I've never seen it for the reason that everybody tells me that if I see it, I will be messed up because of my elderly my elderly complex where I can't with old you people. will not survive the first ten minutes. I know movie. I can't. You genuinely I just know will that be I taken won't out. Survive. I know. <laughs> when I saw, I remember actually seeing that at my grandma's, and me, my dad, my sister watched it. My dad cried mm. instantly. Mm-hmm. I had never seen him instantly bawl in the first five minutes of a movie. I was like, "This is some shit." <laughs> like, yeah. Whoa. <sighs> okay. Shall we do it? Shall we jump in? Let's do it. Now, okay, I know that we kind of, okay, so we kind of like went back and forth last week, or I was going back and forth. Maybe this was just a solo thing where I was like, oh, what should we do? (laughs) Because I was like, I wanted to um, come in with like a hard hitting episode. So I saw somebody suggested Kendrick Johnson, which I don't know if you know that story. Mm -mm. Have you heard of that? That's like Mm -mm. a mysterious death. I think we've talked about it a while ago, but it's a great case. We should cover it. It's very like... There's a lot of injustice, and it's like all fingers point to county, maybe covering something up. But I figured following the last case we did on Ellen Albert, we should do something lighter. So I was like, let me give the option over to Stu. And you picked the Flatwoods Monster. Well, it's funny because it wasn't a solo thing, although I don't think I communicated it to you. But I, when you gave me those two options, I went like back mm-hmm. and forth with it for like five minutes. But when you mm-hmm. said that one of them was about a monster in Kentucky, that just <laughs> I was hooked. It was it's in Kentucky. It's in Kentucky and West Virginia. It actually most of this takes place in West Virginia. So we're rural. We're rural. Oh, I'm ready. The la- yeah, I mean the last episode was intense. So this is um thank you to the creepers, by the way. And welcome back, everybody, to Creep Time the Podcast with Silas Dean and Stu. And thank you guys for muscling through the story that we covered last week. But I was so grateful. I was grateful to you, Stu, as well for mm. listening to that because it was a story that I'm like, I think everybody should hear her story. Yeah. Because it's miraculous. Well, it's it's nice to hear always that they survive. But mm-hmm. just to like think about yourself ever having to go through that and being like, okay, I kind of heard from someone else like the tools that they use to – get through it even if it's just like mental fortitude like it was just nice to know that you're capable of surviving something like that serious i mean it's very satisfying for me i don't know if you feel that way when i listen to survival stories i feel there's like a firm end to it Mm -hmm. for me it's like satisfying in a different way yeah absolutely before we dive in i have a few orders of business here of course we love having you around creepers so thank you so much for listening to another episode please do make sure just because i i've noticed i was like i don't know that everybody knows to follow or subscribe to the podcast whether you listen on apple spotify or even youtube please make sure you're following and subscribed so that you do not miss a beat with a new episode and you can even turn on the bell notification as Stu and i have talked about before Ding well, you, you're auto-opted in because you, did you say ding-dong? Ding-dong. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> From now on, I'm not even going to push the bell notification. I'm going to say, and creepers, ding-dong. Ding-a-ling. Yeah. Ding-dong. <laughs> They'll probably um, love that because they all accuse they, they accuse you of being uh, sponsored by Spotify. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, I guess I am. I am technically plugging it, but I promise you, they're they're not cutting me any money for like cutting for like promoting the bell notification. But I would love it if yes. you hit the bell notification. We would both love that. Um, and if you feel so inclined, please do leave us a review. That's me plugging that solo because I love reading the reviews. As we just read one before we got on. Thank you so much. Um, and if you want to tell your friends, our family, a coworker, if you want to contact your local Gilliacs and let them know about <laughs> Creep Time, the podcast. Um, oh, and there was one thing I, I wanted to share this too before we started. Um, 
I have a shout out that I wanted to give about a podcast called Heart Starts Pounding. So I don't I don't know if you've listened to it, Stu, but Heart Starts Pounding is a podcast um, run by Kaylin, who I met at Parapod Festival. But we've kind of been on a similar track on TikTok for a while. We do very similar stories, similar content. So she also has a podcast and it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. My it's mind like is blown right now because she pops up. Like sometimes on my suggestions. Does she? Yes. Yeah. That's so crazy. I and I've listened to a little bit of hers and I think she's fabulous. So that's how how interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. She yeah, her podcast is like like true, true like horror storytelling and she really like leans into it well. I feel like we kind of dance around like, I don't know, like the the levity of it, like the comedic element, but she goes yeah. straight for the jugular. She's yeah. like, You wanna be scared? I'm gonna make you scared. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so I just wanted to shout out her podcast because I know that she wanted to shout out Creep Time um, on her podcast as well. So her podcast, Heart Starts Pounding, is a podcast of horrors, hauntings, and mysteries for the darkly curious. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, So each week, Kaylin takes you through stories ranging from deaths at Disney parks um, all the way to ghost stories and many more. And episodes air every Thursday. So if you want to catch her pod on a Thursday and then roll around over here on a Friday, (laughs) we'll be waiting for you. (laughs) Hearts start pounding and then thongs start snapping. (laughs) Thongs start snapping. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody. The thongs start snapping. (laughs) Hosted by Silas Zenith too. Oh my gosh, the gilly hits yeah, of it all has given us such a chuckle. Oh. She's she's fantastic though. Doing the panel with her was really cool because she is such a great she has such a great mind for these stories and like really finding the ones that are going to like give you chills. So I would highly highly recommend her podcast. And with that, I am going to shift us over into what this case is about for today. Now, let's get into a little top line for you, Stu. Because I feel like this is going to really be one that you're going to latch on to. Solely because when I think about, like, monsters, I wasn't thinking about it in the context of this story. This is really a story about aliens, I think. (gasps) And it takes place in the 1950s, which I think is, like, peak time for, like, alien fantasticalism. That's not a word. But you know what I mean? Like, when I think of aliens, I think of, like, 1950s retrofuturism Area 51. Yeah. So the story of the Flatwoods monster takes us back to the 1950s in West Virginia, where this event took place with a group of children and teenagers who claimed to see something of what you could describe as a monster from outer space, for a lack of a better description. Now, this was assumed to be the work of children's imaginations because it was a small town until adults saw it, too. The events that took place in this town have long been the subject of debate as they seem, you know, far from anything that we could imagine to be true. But shockingly, there's a high number of witnesses who verified these sightings as well as verifiable documentation that is public facing from the U.S. government that something went down in this town in the 1950s. Something of the magnitude that the U.S. government would not only be aware of it, but they would take an interest in investigating it. So let's get into the mystery of the Flatwoods monster. Or do you not buy it? Should we just scrap the whole episode? <laughs> no, I I had no idea that the U.S. government got involved in any time. Mm. I love stories of like files that are like uh, classified or like things mm-hmm. that you, I think that's so fascinating, especially given the time period. I'm, I'm excited. Well, once I get into like some of the, the officials, let's say, who came to visit this town. It's really interesting. I mean, I, I don't know if we've ever gone into, like, theories or conspiracies about men in black, but it is very much that. Something happened here. Mm. We don't know what, but something. So let's dive in. What exactly happened in Flatwoods? Because Flatwoods is the name of the town in West Virginia. So I'm going to paint the picture. It is 7 p.m. on the evening of September 12th, 1952. We're in the small town of Flatwoods, West Virginia, and there's a group of these young boys who are outside. It's like dusk and they're playing football when all of a sudden they all kind of stopped because there is this huge light that's flying in the sky right above them before it kind of like barrels to the distance, like near the hill and just it looked like it crashed. Now, from their description, they thought it was a meteor. They're like, it's a round glowing ball of light and there's like smoke trailing behind it. So it's got to be like something from space that crashed. 
but also something didn't really feel right because it's not exactly how they imagined fully what a meteor crash might look like. It was kind of low to the ground. Like it came out of nowhere, but it was low enough where they're like, that didn't look like it came from space. If you know what I mean? Like it looked, Mm -hmm. it didn't look like it came straight down to the earth. So the boys, they start getting really excited. Like they wanted to go check it out and they're like teasing each other. Like, Oh my God, what if it was a UFO or something? Like they're not concerned at all. They're just, they just think it's cool that they saw the thing. But in the midst of them joking, they look over to the hill, like right where it crashed, and they all kind of go silent for a second because suddenly, whatever it was, it like lifts itself up, like it moves, and then it shifts over the hill, like goes out of sight, kind of disappears. Now, they can still see the glow of its light like over the hill, but they're still not thinking like that was something sinister or like eerie. They're like, Oh, we, we've got to go check that out. Whatever the hell it was. (laughs) Like how often could you see a meteor from space? Like that's a very rare event. I would be excited too. So they're curious and they're all planning to go rush to the hill. 12 year old Freddie may, who kind of sounds like he's leading the pack. Like he just sounds like the loudest boy in the group. He kind of breaks everyone up from like joking and speculating. Cause they're all like, Oh my God, it's gotta be like Martians or something like that. And he's like, you guys are idiots. It's clearly like, a meteor i know what i'm talking about and he goes we should go there and we should collect parts of it to bring into class because that's the the logical thing that you should do when something is burning and like comes from space <laughs> you should go and touch it <laughs> so <laughs> they all agree though they're like all right yeah let's like plan to go up to the hill it's getting dark um so if it's getting dark we have to go back and we have to like tell a parent that like we're not going to be home after dark like we're going to go to the hill and find this thing so they go running back through the yard and they go back to, I think it's Freddie's mom's house. Her name is Kathleen. Now, this mother, she's a local beautician, such as myself. And mm-hmm. she is just, like, getting home. Like, she just got home from work. And she wanted to head upstairs and, like, take a shower, like, take her pants off. And all of these kids come running in. And they're like, Mom, there's a meteor that crashed. Can we, like, go outside and check it? She doesn't buy it. She's like, there's no meteor. I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, no, come to the porch. She steps outside. The first thing she sees in the distance is that red glowing light over the hill. And she's like, oh, okay. She's like, maybe there is something. I don't know what it is. She's like, but if you're going to go, I'm going to go with you. But she doesn't want to go without like an older guy there too. So she actually calls a local (laughs) 17-year-old who (laughs) – one of the neighborhood kids. But quite interesting, (laughs) I would say. Kathleen, local beautician. (laughs) <laughs> so she calls this 17-year-old. His name is Gene Lemon, and he happens to be in the National Guard. Um, so he comes along to, like, kind of guide the group. And someone's dog also comes. Because why not? Bring a dog. Yeah. So they all set out on foot. They're going towards the hill in the dark now um, just to see, like, what fell from the sky. They make their way to the dirt trail that's going to take them over the hill. And they're kind of, like, peeling through the brush. Um, but they can still see the glow. Like, they know where they're going. As they're getting closer... They can tell that the lights are kind of like humming is the best way I can describe it. Like they're dimming on and off, but not quite a flash. Like they're pulsating, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yes. And then it it, it feels like, okay, whatever fell, it doesn't seem like like a rock or a meteor. It seems like a machine kind of. Now the air is becoming noticeably warmer, like really, really warm. And everything starts kind of getting misty, like a fog is like rolling in the closer that they're getting over this hill and it becomes like really thick, dense air, humid. And then as they get close, this disgusting smell like pierces through all of them. It is the way they described it. They're like, it's a mix of burning metals and maybe sulfur, something metallic, like metal burning is what they said. And everyone starts getting really uncomfortable. Like the boys are like, kind of tugging at like their throats and their collars like it's getting hard to breathe the air and everybody's eyes are burning and they're watering but they kind of push forward they're like okay we're, we've come this far we gotta see what the damn thing is now they get over the top of the hill and they've got a clear shot of what they're looking at through the fog and it looks it just looks like a glowing bright mass in the middle of this farmland like they still can't really tell like what it is they're looking at because it's so foggy but they know for sure, all of them, they're like, that's not a meteor. That's, But it's also not an aircraft. It's not like an airplane that's on fire. So it's just, a, it's something they can't recognize. From witness statements, this is what gets crazy. 
half the boys said that it was like a humming noise that was coming from it. Like the machine was hissing. And then all of the recollections of like the size are like all over the place. Some people are like, it might've been like 25 feet long. And then some of the boys said that it was like as big as a house, like a small house. And the boys and this mother, they're just staring at the fireball and they're trying to figure out like what it is they're looking at. And they do not see what's coming next. Suddenly, Gene, the 17-year-old, screams, the one from the National Guard. He starts screaming, and he looks to the right. And right near them, just 15 feet away, stood beside an oak tree, hovering in the air, is this massive, towering, dark figure that is looking right at them. It's described as something that was twice the size of a human, with a thin build, and the top of its head almost came to like a point. They said it was like it was wearing a hood. Now, the face, from what they could make out, had two round, um, like, portholes, basically, where the eyes should be. And it had kind of a red nose. And the face itself was almost completely round. Um, There's no mouth. There's nothing they can see that looks like a mouth. And there's a slight tint to, like, the portholes where the eyes should be. Very specific. (laughs) And everyone, like, really, like, was sunk on the description of this thing, which I think is really interesting. Like, nobody kind of falters from that. Mm -hmm. Everyone goes into shock and starts screaming. Gene f- hits the flashlight so he can, like, shine it on the thing. And that's when they realize the creature is translucent. You can see through it. And the other boys claim that on the inside of it is, like, a small beam of light at its core. And it had claws for hands. Let's pause there and just discuss. <laughs> Any thoughts on what that could have been other than an alien? I did think I, when I heard translucent, I was like, skinny. So thin. <laughs> so thin. Yeah, because something translucent would indicate to me that it's like light, uh, like fur, maybe, if it was going to be like an animal or something. Like they would think that it's, mm. but I don't, I'm not getting the vibe of like animal if it's some, something else. I'm getting the vibe of, I mean, honestly, the first thing this made me think of was, um, mm-hmm. have you seen Arrival? No, I've never seen it. I've always wanted okay. to. It's very similar, like, kind of story where they come down and the figures are, like, they're they're way bigger than humans, but they're, like, kind of this weird, they're, like, objects almost. Like, they they don't look human. They look like these kind of shapes, but there's something about them that is, they can communicate. So that was my first thought as you were describing it. I was like, wow, that sounds a lot like the creatures in Arrival. Um, I wonder if they took inspiration out of this when they were. I bet they did. I bet they did. Drumming up like the the look of like what those aliens might look like. Because it's, yeah. it's funny you're saying they look like machines because the next part of this is Kathleen's description. And she's saying the claws were metallic and they almost looked like antennas, but were like, like TV antennas that were curved, which is so specific. I like. I, I could never, like, imagine that just without a reference point, you know? Right. Well, there's so and, much. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, there's there's so much, I think, back then that they didn't have as much, like, futurism kind of storytelling yet. So for this sure. is very specific for back then where I feel like coming up with this idea of, like, what an alien is was pretty new. I would agree. I would agree for sure. I mean, especially in a place like West Virginia, I can't imagine. I mean, clearly, like, they had some sort of pop cultural reference of, like, little green men from Mars kind of thing. Yeah. But this feels so specific that it's difficult for me to imagine that this was something that they just drummed up, you know, to tell a story. And there's so many of them. So many of these kids. And there is one descriptive piece um, that they all, like, are so, so firm on. It has no legs. There's nothing below the torso. It's just floating. So it looks like. Then as they're looking at this thing and they're in shock, without warning, it starts to squirt out oil all over them. That is also extremely specific. Gene, the National Guard kid, almost blacks out from terror. He falls to the ground, dropping the flashlight. And that dog, out. Dog bolts (laughs) out of... Getting the hell out of touch. <laughs> and we know the dog always knows. You know? Right. Right. 
I mean, well, it just like sends them into pandemonium because they all start scattering. They're just sprinting back to the house because half of them are covered in this oil, this like substance. And they're running so fast, actually, that when they get to the, the fence, they don't even use the gate. They hop the fe- They're crawling over the fence. Even Kathleen. Just reaction to like that experience. I mean, the oil is so much. The oil is so, it's so weird. Um, So just to recap, there's basically mm-hmm. this one huge machine, right? That's the the main event that they thought was like the meteor. That's yeah, pulsating the ship, this I guess light. you could say. Mm-hmm. Okay, the ship. And then the figure that's just kind of like hovering around them. It's just one. Yeah. So if it's just one that they saw. So they were looking at the sh- what we thought was the ship or the meteor, I guess, this like pulsating light, which is why they didn't look to their right, which is where the oak tree was which is where the creature was kind of like hiding next to in the dark. So this, like the, the glowing light thing had their attention. It wasn't until the creature was close enough that they could like sense something was near them, that they saw all of this. And then the oil got, <laughs> the oil was all over them. So they just like sprint, they're panicking. But it the chaos does not end there. Like this is just the beginning of like how crazy this night gets because they run back to Kathleen's house. She gets everybody inside. She's like, get inside, get inside the living room. The dog has already like gone to a corner of the house and is hiding because all Mm -hmm. hell is breaking loose with this oil. Like they're struggling to breathe because the oil reeks of that smell, that like burning metallic smell that they like smelt on the hill. And there are kids that are like gagging on the floor and like sobbing and like they they just can't get air in their lungs. Jean is in the bathroom, projectile vomiting. And everyone is just scrambling to, like, sinks and, like, showers and, like, trying to, like, wash the oil off their skin because they cannot get air in. Kathleen, trying to hold down the fort, she's completely bewildered because, don't forget, she didn't even think it was a meteor, let alone whatever the hell she saw out there. So she's like, I don't know what to do. I have to call for help. She she calls for the sheriff. (laughs) Our first introduction of county in this story. I was going to say, we haven't had a, a minute. In a minute, we haven't said county. (laughs) <laughs> we haven't said, well, she calls County and lo and behold, County actually does not come. So this is oh, also a, a defamation story <laughs> against County from the records. The call came in. So this call did happen at 815 PM where she is frantically explaining what she just saw and that she needs officers there now. And she's also asking like, you need to send an ambulance. Like these kids cannot breathe and they're turning blue. And this is where it gets interesting. So the operator um, says that the sheriff cannot come because he's not even in the town. He was called over um, to Frametown to investigate another report of a crash from the sky where a plane went missing. Is that not? That's so interesting. To me, when I was like, okay, that's two separate points that are like documented in the records where something happened, you know, like a crash happened. So he's not even in the town and it's the 1950s. So nobody has like a phone to call the guy. So she's like, well, you have to send somebody. So let's see. Timestamp-wise, the Braxton County Sheriff, he got the call right after 7 p.m. to go to the other town, Frametown, to investigate the crash report, which, timeline-wise, that tracks with when the boys who were playing in this town, Flatwoods, saw -hmm. their crash. So I was like, that's pretty convincing. Like, I would find that hard to refute, like, records-wise, at least. So his call, um, the sheriff, he's like, here's what we can we can do or the operator is like what we can do because the sheriff is over there we can send somebody else but i'm gonna have to make a few calls the sheriff who got called out to the other town for that crash i think his name is robert carr he had an incoming call come from a hitchhiker no less who was getting a ride and then they saw the crash like what they thought was a burning plane in the sky they couldn't define what it was so they got to a phone and they're like you've got to send somebody out so the officer who got there to that location, he ends up not finding any trace of what was explained. Oops, I just whacked my hand. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's what happens when we start got- talking about county. It's about to get heated. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> I'll sever my own finger. <laughs> well, he went to that crash site in the other town, and he was, like, looking for this, like, plane, this mysterious plane that went down. Couldn't find it. There's no trace of, like, any remnants of a crash. So he was like, oh, I wasted my time. Meanwhile, the operator had already started making phone calls to be like, can we get anybody out to, like, the Flatwoods house to see what's going on with Kathleen and these kids? They end up calling this guy named Ailey Stort. He is a photojournalist. They send a journalist 
<laughs> but because he's a former Air Force veteran. So surprisingly, this was not as uncommon as I imagined. Um, if cops are like a sheriff was like out of town or like couldn't come to a call, they would usually send like a veteran or they would send somebody who was like kind of worked with the police in that way or like was used to seeing like a scene like this. Right. safe. So 30 minutes after that call, he gets to Kathleen May's house and it's just as chaotic as when the, the call came in. Like he literally walks in and as he opens the door, there are three boys in front of him who just throw up on the floor. <laughs> like... The entire house is, like, screaming still and struggling to breathe. And he gets to Kathleen, and when he gets to her, she's completely coated in this oil. Like, she stinks. And he described, like, trying to talk to people in the house, and he found it very difficult. Like, they were so petrified. Most of them were having trouble speaking, which I also think is really interesting Mm. from an acting perspective. This is all for show. Yeah. I was like, damn, you really sold, didn't you? you well, sold. you you just gave me a sigh of relief here because one of my questions was going to be, was there any proof? And like, did somebody else see them covered in this oil? Like, I was a little mm-hmm. nervous that you were going to say nobody ever like saw it on them. No, no, they saw the oil. I think she even she kept the clothes because it was her work uniform. So she kept it and she wasn't sure what to do with it. Like, am I going to? try to wash this out should i just throw these away That's so weird i think the clothes were eventually confiscated from the officials that came to visit her which mm. is also interesting <laughs> so he was trying to talk to everybody and he's like what happened he eventually tries to get like them to calm down enough where he's like would you like take me to the site so i think he gets gene and one of the older boys neil the two eldest actually i guess they are um to bring him over to the crash site so they walk over and they bring a shotgun, as you do. <laughs> Sounds like a story I'm into. <laughs> Always. And they they cross the line over the hill. And once they get there, to everyone's shock, there's nothing there. The light is gone. And there's no trace of the crash, like of a meteor crash, we could say. Like a crater. It's just like the grass is totally flattened, kind of like a crop circle, you know? weird but there is oil all over the ground and it has that very distinct smell that burning horrific metallic smell and he from his witness statement he was like the scent was like sickening he's like and i've been in combat he was like i thought it was something maybe i could liken to like a mustard gas he's like but it it wasn't he's like it's something that i've never smelled before he's like but it was so hard to breathe (laughs) so he sees all this and he's like, I mean, the story could be somewhat credible. And don't forget, he's a journalist. So he's like, I'm going to come back in the morning and like check it out for myself in daylight. So he comes back in the morning, looks at it in broad daylight. And what he finds near the oak tree where they claim to see the creature, there are these drag marks that are eight feet apart from each other that go from the oak tree right down to where the grass was flattened, where the ship would have been. And again, the ground is still covered in the oil. So he's like, something went down that night do you have any thoughts on that does it feel credible so far it feels credible i already sort of have one little theory that's bubbling but um okay but i'm not i'm gonna save it (laughs) okay save it save it now that same morning it actually it's the very next morning after he's coming back this photojournalist kathleen she's back at the home because everything has calmed down and she gets a knock at her door from these two strange men they inform her that they are photojournalists from the the nearby town of Clarksburg. (laughs) A likely story. And they make claims that they had heard tell of, like, the monster that she saw. And they were hoping that she could show them out to, like, the area where everything happened. She is feeling off about this because these guys are impeccably dressed, like, very sharp suits. And she's Hmm. like, you guys are journalists from Clarksburg? (laughs) But she's like, okay. She's like, I'll show you out anyway. So they go out. And she kind of notes their behavior as very odd once they get out there, almost like they're too comfortable with what they're seeing, like they're familiar with what they're Mm. seeing. Because they take note of the drag marks, they're like looking around, they're asking questions, and then they really fixate on the oil. They're like obsessed with the oil. And they start to touch it a lot. They're like playing with it in their hands. And they're like looking at it and they're like not concerned about their clothes because they're wiping it all over their, like they're covered in oil. And she's like, what the hell is going on with these guys? 
And then at some point she's like listening to them and she kind of overhear, like overhears one of them whispering, saying like, what do you think they're going to think about this? Like talking mm. about like a headquarters or something maybe. So she's just off put by the guys. But eventually they're just like, you know, thank you so much for showing us out. And they take off in these suits, these like oil drenched suits, which is weird as hell. The very next day they come back to her door and they confess. They go, we're not journalists. We're actually DC officials and we have to ask you some questions. And <laughs> she was like, well, wait a sec. Why did you tell me you were photojournalists? Why didn't you just tell me who you were? And they're like, well, we were concerned that if we told you that we were officials, you probably wouldn't take us out to the crash site or you probably wouldn't like be so forthcoming about like what you saw. So she has no problem. She invites them in. And I think that they just like question her really intensely. It's just a very like serious back and forth specifically about that oil. They were like, they want to know everything about it. Like what color was it when it came out? They're like, what did you feel when it was on you? Like, was it warm? Like, did it always have the smell? Do you have the clothing from last night? And they take that clothing She's like, yeah, I've, I've got my, it's my uniform. And they're like, thank you. <laughs> she provides a full description of the creature. And again, they leave. And then a month later, she receives something in the mail. I'm going to get into that in a second. But what do you think about those men that just showed up there? Any thoughts on what I think are the men in black? Well, yeah, when you said um, they kind of told her why they didn't tell her, I was like, and that's federal versus county, y'all. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's on federal. Um I that's unfederal. I I can't can I mean can you imagine that would have been so back in the 50s like in a very rural town so scaring. Uh, I would tell them anything they wanted. Yeah, exactly. Um and also like that kind of stuff just doesn't happen out there. I'm sure they were they were I don't know, I'm sure in some way it was kind of uh amazing for her like what a shake up to her day-to-day routine like <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Um, it's like, y'all sounds are here like a from movie. DC. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It yeah. totally is. Yeah. To me, it feels like the, it feels like the architecture of like a lot of like scenarios we've seen yes. in alien movies of like rural America, yes. an unsuspecting home, maybe like an unsuspecting housewife. And then suddenly these like very sharp men show up and they're like, tell us about what you saw. I was like, this is, this is like the inception of that, that narrative. Yes. Because you but can't yeah, do alien movies in big cities. Nobody's curious enough. <laughs> I know, yeah. The aliens don't care to come to New York. They're not coming yeah. to like Simi Valley. They're not. They're not. <laughs> what alien goes to like Portland? You know, like we're not uh, honest into it. to God, that would be an incredible uh, satire. <laughs> aliens visiting like metropolitan America. I just like, don't know what home. business they have there. Yeah. Although there was that story from a few weeks back. I don't know if you saw that of the thing that happened in Vegas. Did you hear about that? No. Vegas well, is like a, a desert, but yeah. You didn't what hear happened? that story? No. So there was a a call, like a frantic call that came into 911 from this family and they were like something just crashed in our backyard and there are like people out there in our backyard and they're like what are the okay, like who are the people? Can you give us a description? And they're like they're like, ma'am, the, they actually, they don't even look like people. They look, they're like huge. They're like, they're these giant people in our backyard. And they're like, well, what else do they look like? They're like, they just have really big eyes and they're like nine, 10 feet tall. They're huge people. And she's like, okay, family's probably on drugs. Let's send a cruiser out there. But there is evidence that crash happened because on a body cam across the neighborhood that night, on a, a counting officer's body cam, there is a huge, giant, green, glowing thing that went soaring through the sky and crashed, wow. which timed, time matched to their ring camera. Because you can see on the porch, on their ring camera, you hear this huge, like, and then, like, a crash. And there's a giant green glow. Like, something crashed in their backyard. So they were panicking, and they were like, please, somebody, like, send somebody. Send an officer. Like, we don't know what to do. We're trying to film it, but we're scared. And they said they're hiding the things like the people in the backyard were hiding like in their backyard, like behind bushes and stuff. By the time the officers got there, no evidence of the crash. Nothing. A little weird. That's so wild. Wow. How long ago was that? This was like a week or two ago. (gasps) I just I realized I did something as I told that story. I'm like, this is probably how like every alien story is told where they like drop all these bombs and they're like, little strange. I don't, you, you be the judge. <laughs> that's, that's so true. 
That's so true. Our, our They're like, but what do I know? I know. Our <laughs> ability to suspend disbelief about uh, aliens is amazing to me. I mean, the more specific a story gets, the more likely I am to believe it. Like, this is why this story is compelling to me is because the oil squirting out is, yeah. I suppose you could say the work of science fiction, but not something I would peg to come from, like, a random family that lives in Flatwoods, West Virginia. Absolutely. It's funny because I was thinking, too, that I feel like I'm normally kind of skeptical. And I actually mm-hmm. happen to think that there's probably – I mean, I definitely think there's other life outside of Earth. But, I mean, I – I wouldn't be shocked if tomorrow something landed on Earth. Like, I fully believe that there's a possibility of aliens. I do, too. I Well, it's funny because while I was doing research, I wanted to tell you this, like, um, I guess it's an analogy, but it was, um, I forgot who it was with, but she was a a scientist who kind of studies this, but she also studies, like, the cosmos, like, at large. And she Mm -hmm. was talking about, that she was posed the question, like, do you believe there is life in the universe? And she's like, I will put it this way so you can have a visualizer. She's like, imagine, like, the known universe is comparable size-wise to, like, the ocean, right? All of the water on planet Earth. That is the size of the universe. She was like, in the context of what we have explored, that is the equivalent of going to the ocean, like, straight to the Pacific, taking a 12-ounce glass and scooping up water. That's how much we've explored the universe. She's like, so when people ask me, do you think there's life out there? She's like, well, if you put it in the, you know, this analogy of the ocean, if you go to the ocean, scoop with a 12 ounce glass and you look at the glass and you're like, "Mm, no fish in that glass. I bet there's no fish in this entire ocean that she's like, that's what I hear when people are like, there are no aliens out there. And I'm like, wow, that's really clear that it would be shocking to me if there wasn't anything out there. But maybe they're not as, like, grand as, like, we pictured them as, like, giant green men from Mars kind of thing. Like, maybe they're, like, bugs. Maybe yeah. they're really tiny. Maybe they're I'm sure there's multiple versions. Yeah. Maybe they're not even, like, um, like, a fully solid form, a solidly formed being. It could be, like, a gas, a living gas. I think that's a Pokemon. <laughs> I'm just referencing seeing Elemental last night. That's all. I was going to say, wait, didn't you see Elemental last night? I'm pitching it like it's an original idea. So I'm like, what if they're actually a gas? Think about that. Hmm? that. That's amazing. So, So let me get into what happens with Kathleen because a month passes and she gets a letter from the Pentagon. One should be so lucky, which includes a professional sketch and mock-up of the monster that she described. (laughs) And it also includes an explanation letter. Now, the mock-up actually doesn't look like a creature. It looks like her description of a creature that was then turned into, like, the shape of, like, a rocket. (laughs) Kind of. Like, it's, like, loosely shaped as to how she describes. So the explanation letter is like, here's what you saw on this evening, (laughs) ma'am. So they were like, the government launched four experimental rockets, and one of them went missing and likely crashed in that area. And they were like, it was having oil trouble. So it's like hitting all of the keywords of her story. And they're like, and Mm. it was carrying two men inside. But it goes into no explanation as to like what she really saw. It's like not talking about like, did the men survive? Like, this is what you experienced. This is how we explain the oil. They're like, you probably just saw the ship and it was probably disorienting. So that's what you saw. Nothing else. (laughs) And they, oh, and they also ask her, they're like, and we would appreciate it if you kept your discretion on the event, like keep it a secret, which she does. She keeps it a secret for like decades because here's the thing why I agree with Kathleen. If the Pentagon is contacting me and they're like, you probably saw an alien, but keep that hush hush. I'm doing it. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what do I have to gain from going out there and being like, listen, everybody. (laughs) Right. Like, I'm trying to be safe. (laughs) I mean, my theory when I said that one was bubbling was that it was like a government testing weapons. And maybe it was, Mm. um, which now that you're saying that they were saying that it was a rocket, which, okay. Um. <laughs> they said it was a, with with men inside of it. They were like, which they never explained. Like, did the men live or did they die? Like, yeah. what was the, where where did the thing even go? Like, it's just such clear BS. But they were like, hmm, she's like a common woman from West Virginia. She won't think twice. Oh my gosh! 
Does she still? I, I does she still have the letter? I think so. I mean, we've never seen proof of this letter yeah. because, like I said, for decades after the fact, she's like, "I'm going to keep every ounce of this a secret." Like she keeps the letter and sure. she keeps these visits from the men. She doesn't tell anybody about the visits from the men, um, which makes it feel even more credible to me for someone to like hold on to this for like decades and then eventually. She's as she gets like older because I think she, she eventually passed, obviously. But she was like, it's like end of the life confessions where she's like, by the way, the men in black did come. <laughs> they told me to keep my mouth shut. I don't know. It's interesting though that she chose to keep that private. It's a story that she for sure could have capitalized on back in the day. And I could imagine that maybe she would need the money for her family at a certain point, but she did not. Yeah. She kept that very quiet. That's, yeah, I mean, also just for, like, pure gossip's sake and giving you something to do in a small town. I mean, that would have been the story for her to tell people, and she didn't, which I think, like you said, adds to her credibility for sure. I agree. Well, it's funny because if you remember, she keeps it quiet, but that's all for naught because they didn't send a sheriff to the scene first. They sent a journalist, oh, a wise right. decision. <laughs> so once he yeah so once he came back in the daytime and he was like there is some evidence that this like this happened he goes to town the whole town actually like goes into chaos because he prints the story and then gossip and rumors spread like wildfire and suddenly the whole town is consumed with reporters and scientists and mediums we were there we showed up <laughs> the original parapod yes but they all come flooding in because they're like oh my god something happened here and there is actually an investigation that um i think it goes on where they interview a number of people in this town and they find out that there is some consistency in this like 7 p.m crash part of the story because they were not the only people outside of like this family and like the hitchhiker who said we saw a crash that night at 7 p.m or something like falling out of the night sky so that that adds more weight to the story for me where i'm like yeah something something happened here right and there is this constant description too about what they saw in the sky the bright orange ball of fire that does not deviate from person to person yeah i think the the other thing too like you said at the very beginning is when there's children and adults and they both saw the same thing that's like Mm -hmm. kind of uh, uh foolproof but also all the witness statements of, like, the children who were literally gagging, throwing up, like, sweating, crying on the floor. I mean, unless they're just selling, like, Streep, I don't really know how to explain <laughs> that episode. <laughs> Sorry. Agreed. But I was going to say, this story actually doesn't sit only in Flatwoods from that night. Because we've mostly talked about these sightings in this town. It goes beyond the town on the same night at the same time. So on the same night, same time, 7 p.m., There are sightings all over the U.S. of something crashing from the sky. (laughs) And there were reports that were unrelated that came in from Pennsylvania, D.C., Maryland, and California on that night, 7 p.m. in the time, like, East Coast time. Whoa. Spooky, spooky. So it's kind of like a mass event that took place. Yeah. For the records that I was able to dig up, let's see. On the night, this night, when the crash happened in West Virginia alone, there were five total separate sightings and reports of things that crashed from the sky, which led to this theory. So this was the theory that people were drumming, drumming up, like directionally. It's likely that whatever these things were, they came from the Atlantic, crossed over Maryland, and then something went wrong. Like they veered off course and came to West Virginia where they kind of burned up and crashed there. And there are some skeptics who were like, well, we don't buy the story. Like we don't do or believe in UFOs and we certainly don't believe in this monster. So they're like, okay, let's come up with a logical explanation for what went down in Flatwoods. And they think what everybody saw was probably a meteor. They're like, it's a meteor that crashed from space, which then caused this massive fog. And there were like lots of gases and maybe from the light of the meteor and like the gases, it could have created some strange shadows, which maybe like spooked the boys and Kathleen and they went into hysterics because they thought they saw a monster. And I think that this explanation is like shockingly stupid because if it was a meteor, (laughs) well, because if if it was a meteor, it's like, 
are we just going to completely ignore that there's one no crater but two no meteor <laughs> like there's no meteor that's ever found exactly and it's not like burning ground the, it was just flat grass flat i'm like y'all like i know we want to we want to find a logical end to some of this but it's got to be foolproof like it can't be <laughs> yeah it was probably just something like a rock from the sky also, and all that oil. People... What about that oil? Yeah, I was going to say, the oil for sure is so odd and would make you think it's coming from a vehicle of some kind, like a vehicle. Meaning, some kind like, of you a know, machine. Yeah. Something that had to like be launched in some way. I even so there needed fuel. I was thinking, I was like, what? Okay, so what if it was kind of like what you were theorizing on? It could have been like a weapon of like destruction or like a terrorist weapon. But maybe it was flying in coming from another country. If it came, if the theory is that directionally it was coming from the Atlantic and then mm-hmm. veered off course. But the description of it is so bizarre that I'm like, if that was a machine, because it kind of is described as like half being, half like machine. How I can't imagine like how that was even created. It's translucent, has glowing eyes, <laughs> a round face, and it's squirting oil. That's yeah the 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 part of all of this that just doesn't make sense that you're trying to come up with a theory like a rationale for mm-hmm. it is the actual figure like what was that thing the machine makes total sense to me i could see that being a weapon mm-hmm. or a rocket or whatever but what is that and they then they and it did something to them like it was squirting them with something like there's a yeah. intent there Probably I would say the most damning part of the story that I think kind of cracks all of like the scientific and logical explanations of this is that there is front facing proof that the U.S. government was involved in this and that those visitations to Kathleen did happen in the public facing airfare project blue book files. There is a clear record that something happened in this town and they investigated it. And that is the extent of the public facing explanation of what went down. Does that feel, does that add some credibility to this? Or is that like, well, that could happen in either scenario, whether it's terrorists or whether it's a U.S. experiment or whether it is UFOs? Well, I think any time U.S. officials come into the mix, it's to protect themselves in some way. So, Mm -hmm. Agreed. I don't think it's so much... I don't know. I, I mean, I'm sort of feeling like it's not. And I, I really like the theory that it could have been from another country or external mm-hmm. like weaponry that was used or rocket or whatever. Um, but I'm still feeling like it was an internal thing, like within the U.S. And it was just like screwed up oh. if it's a real interesting like they just messed up. So what I can, I can get behind why that theory. they would show up to her house and be like, this is what you saw. <laughs> Don't don't well, I mean, that blow could be this true. for us. That could be true in the event that it's it's UFOs anyway. You know, like if it is an yeah. alien experience, it would be. Or is that what you were saying? I thought you meant like U.S. experiment that went wrong. I meant U.S. experiment that went wrong. Um, gotcha. That is a pretty sophisticated piece of tech. If like all of those things that they saw were true, and then like it disappears by that night, that's yeah. that's a pretty bizarre piece of technology <laughs> that leaves no trace. <laughs> well, my thought behind that was that what if they were aware that they were going to be conducting this experiment and they had mm-hmm. officials nearby to collect you know shrapnel or whatever that happened to show up but i mean that's a pretty quick cleanup job um but it's possible i mean it also just kind of ignores like some of like some of what like what i would assume would happen to the elements something i mean we've seen when like aircrafts go down in the u.s they burn up they crash and there's fire or there's impact or there's burned grass like that's what's odd to me is that i can fully believe this was a u.s experiment this was a u.s aircraft of some sort even if it wasn't recognizable and that even what they saw the creature was some kind of a u.s experiment like a tech i can believe all that but for them to go back to that scene find all of the thing all of it gone in addition to no crater and no burned gas, even though they smelt like burning metal and it was a ball of fire, so they described it, is strange to me. Yeah. It would have had remember, to have been. I just, I'm just thinking of this now. I yeah. want to hear what you think about it. Remember when we did the Bermuda Triangle episode? Remember what they saw out in the Bermuda Triangle? Mm-hmm. It was an orange ball of fire. 
Just saying. Stop. Oh my god. <laughs> this was this was actually a sunset in this version. <laughs> they saw the sun setting. I did say it was day. dusk. Did I not? Yeah. I was like the boys yeah. were out playing during dusk. <laughs> well, okay, so it's funny because Flatwoods eventually they capitalize on the sensationalism of this because the the reporters don't stop coming. And the story, like years down the line, they're like, oh, well, let's like actually personify the monster of Flatwoods, like the Flatwoods monster. And it becomes a huge tourist attraction, brings in a lot of money to the account or not the account, the economy. <laughs> Someone's account. Um, but they ha- they hold a festival every year. It's called I think it's called like the the Little Green Men Festival. I think we should totally go. Oh, it's right God. in West Virginia every year. And it's in August, I think. Oh my gosh, we actually should go. That'd be so much fun. Really I would absolutely do it. And they also have a museum there. Like they've really like created a, a story in this town following this. It's probably the only thing that would take me out to West Virginia. <laughs> Country roads, baby. Country roads. Now, I so we know that part of it, but I did want to get into one other thing that happened in Kentucky. That's what I was talking about with <gasps> Kentucky before. Yeah. So there is an additional event that happens in Kentucky, I think not even like two years later, and it's very similar. And this part of Kentucky to Flatwoods is only about 400 miles away. So I'm going to dive into that. So in this instance of this event that happened in Kentucky, it is not just a single monster that is witnessed. It is an entire group of these things. (gasps) So I'm going to take you a couple years later. Um, It's August 21st. Uh, they also have a festival in this town, too, to celebrate this event, <laughs> which is really messed up when you hear the story. Um, 1955 it is. And we get a witness testimony from the Sutton family. I'm not going to take us on a housewives thing. I was going to say, don't that's even. All I could, <laughs> don't even. Well, her last name is Strack, but anytime Sutton. I hear Sutton, Sutton, I it just It's such a me. southern name. I love it. So this was a normal evening for this family, and they came to the dinner table around supper time. Now, oddly enough, the event also took place two or three years later at 7 p.m., which is weird. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that, but I just saw that, like, line up in the research. So one of the house guests who's over, he's there for dinner, and his name is Billy Ray Taylor. He offers to go run out to fetch some water from the well for their dinner. And almost the second he gets outside onto the porch, he sees something that mirrors the exact experience in Flatwoods. It is a large, glowing, round object that is burning up in the sky until it crashes in the distance. Now, to his description, it looks like it's crashing, but then suddenly it, like, slows itself before it gets to the ground, and it seems to, like, land in the distance, in, in, like, a gully, and then it really, like, kind of, like, inches its way over the hill, like it's moving. And whatever he sees, he's like, it's not a plane. He's like, that's some kind of spaceship or something, or or what he can imagine a spaceship to be. So he sprints back inside, and he's yelling to everybody. He goes, there's a flying saucer that just landed in the backyard. And everybody starts laughing at him. And they're like, "He's you're a joke. Like, what are you talking about? So he gets embarrassed, and he kind of shuts up. Because they were just making him feel stupid. Until they start seeing something about a half hour later. Because the dog gets up and heads to the porch and starts barking. And they turn and they see a glowing light in the distance. So the Suttons, they go outside to check it, check this out. And they're looking at the distance. And whatever the dog is barking at is this like glowing orangey, like red light, kind of this hue coming from over the hill. But even scarier, in the dark, there is something that is walking towards the house. Something's out there and something is wrong. The Suttons look back in the distance in the dark and they see this thing to their description. They were like, it looked like a little, like a man, but not. It's about three to four feet tall, completely round head, just like the Flatwoods monster, claw hands, just like the monster, but its eyes have like a yellow tint to them and it does not look human. But what is clear is that the creature is metallic is what they said. It's partially metallic just like the Flatwoods monster. Right. So the Suttons run in and they're like, absolutely not. Let's get the shotguns. And they just start going out and shooting at the thing. And I think they they either hit it or they hit close to it because it scatters back into the darkness. But just minutes later, 
another one appears in the window of their house. (gasps) And so to their description, they start firing again and they hit this thing through the window and they go out to check, like go outside. And that is when they are ambushed by these things all around them on the grounds of their property. They are coming from everywhere. Like they're in the trees, they're in the bushes, in the ground, on their roof. They are bombarded by these creatures and they start like reaching towards them with these claws. So the Suttons start firing all, like in all directions. They're going up, they're going to the sides. And the thing that they know is that these things are fast. They jump from like tree to tree, surface to surface, and they don't have legs, just like the Flatwoods monster. It's like verbatim, the same kind of thing. And they're just firing every which way they can. And they're hitting some of them, but it's like the more they hit, the more kind of show up. And this goes on for four hours. It took boxes of ammo of them outside firing and panicking. At a certain point, they get themselves away from these things. They're able to escape and they drive to a police station. Once they get to the station, they're not mincing words. They're like, there's an alien invasion. There are creatures on our property. And there's a whole horde of officers and journalists who come flocking to the home. It's 25 people in total. Once they're there, there is nothing, nothing that could explain the story, except for all of like the bullet casings on the ground. So with no evidence, they're kind of just accused of like being drunk and like (laughs) that they, that they like told the tale and the officers are like, you should sleep it off. And the whole station was like riled up about it. They're pissed that they all came out there. So the Suttons are basically laughed off and told to stop making things up. They are totally dismayed because if they're not going to stick around to help them, the Suttons have to sit there and defend themselves. After police leave, half hour passes. Someone in the family, a woman, sees a glowing yellow light near one of the windows upstairs. So she gets close to the window to properly see like what it is she's looking at. And that's when she can make out the face of one of the creatures that's pressed right up against that window. And its claws are on the screen looking into the house. So she shrieks. Everyone in the house comes running. And one of the men in the family shoots at the window. But then whatever was at the window jumps away and jumps to another window. And then there's another one that shows up at another window. And it's the same thing again. The family stayed up. They were up till 530 in the morning. Just shattering every window in their house. And bullets all through the wall. (laughs) I, I don't mean to laugh. But I was thinking to myself, damn, I hope one of them knows how to put glass back into a pane like <laughs> i, I mean imagine. it kind of made the story feel credible for me because i was like nobody's just like shooting their house to hell if they right. don't think there's something out there so right. the family's description as the sun was coming up that's when all the creatures fled the grounds almost like they can't bear the light and by the time police come back in the morning because police were like we'll come back in the am to check on you there's still no evidence of these things except for the bullets everywhere and that they shot up their entire house So word gets out to the neighborhood about this, like the Suttons did all this and they become the laughingstock of the town so bad because the press like ridicules them too because journalists had showed up. It's so terrible. They have to move. They have to relocate within 10 days. What? That's that's so embarrassing. But I'll tell you something that's messed up because they have a festival as well that happens in August. Does everybody shoot out their windows? What? (laughs) (laughs) well the town after they laughed all these people out the town was like this town in kentucky they're like um we're not doing so hot like we need we need money to come into this town and they remembered like somebody brought it up they were like wasn't there like a monster story or something that came out of here and they're like that's it there's an alien encounter that took place here never mind the family that we ridiculed until they literally had to leave the town we're gonna capitalize on the story and make it a featured tourist attraction of the town so they take the story they like reimagine it and it becomes a huge like historical mystery of the town of like and they hold the little green men festival which is a yearly attraction there on august 21st which is the anniversary of the night this all happened to this family and they were up till 5 30 a.m oh my gosh <laughs> that poor so family i know but it gets even worse because a lot of people in the town when they were like they didn't see aliens people were like well what did they see Owls. <laughs> they said it was owls. Good night. Good night. Good okay. Night. If you saw an owl, you would do that. You would I shoot would do. I was going to say, now I understand. <laughs> now I side with them. Because <laughs> they were like, well, owls can be pretty big and their heads are like completely round and they have claws. They're like, so maybe they just saw the owls. And I'm like, nobody is staying up 
till 5.30 a.m. and not realizing after hour six that they're like, oh, you know what? You know what? I, I think that was an owl, actually. <laughs> like, no one's doing that. But I do think that this is an interesting story because this came two or three years after the Flatwoods Monster, and it's about three to 400 miles away. And it's very similar, like down yeah. to the crash and kind of down to what they saw. But the Sutton family... Who knows where they are in Kentucky now? Oh, that poor family. I know. But I feel like that kind of gives us another, like, an air of credibility a little bit. But that was the only additional event outside of the Flatwoods Monster I wanted to tell you about. Because that's everything I've got, Stu. Oh, my gosh. Do people think that they're, like, do people talk about those two stories, like, kind of, like, bookends a little bit? They do. I think it's usually grouped in because there are a few other stories that kind of coincide with the Flatwoods monster, like similar sightings that aren't too far from Flatwoods. But I think this is the one that's the most linked, if you know what okay. I mean. Like, yeah, it seems like they run in tandem a bit. Also, it happening right at 7 p.m. I think is interesting. Like I yeah. Said. Uh, well, and they're close by, right? The towns. Not too um, far from each other. Well, they're about th- three or 400 miles away, different okay. states. So Flatwoods is West Virginia, and then the, wherever right. this was was Kentucky. Kentucky, but, but I, I didn't mean, know if it was close to the border or something. It's pretty – I mean, it's close enough, I would say, like in the grand scheme. You know what? It's close enough? <laughs> it's close enough to D.C. for something to – It absolutely is. I mean, you had a sonic boom not too long ago. I did. did I t- <laughs> your place. Oh, wait, did I you tell told you me I heard that. it? I did. Yeah. You told me that. That was so wild. I mean. I did look up videos of that after so I could hear it on like ring cameras. That was crazy. It was so weird. And everybody here was just, it was so odd because we had the same exact experience, but kind of similar to this. Suspend your disbelief. We all were like, huh. And we just kept continuing on with our lives until it broke Mm -hmm. in the news. I mean, the thing is, I really don't have the energy for an alien invasion. I maybe did a few years ago, but I, <laughs> I don't either. I'm just too tired for an alien invasion. Like, like, if War of the Worlds starts happening, I'm out early. I'm out early. <laughs> I don't want to play the game. I don't want to play no, the game. No, I don't either. I always either. see those apocalypse movies, and I'm like, what are you guys all, like, fighting to survive for? Like, what do you, what's, what's left of this world that you're, like, waiting to stick I around know. in? It's like, life is going to probably suck after this. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not going to be a good time for you. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm too accustomed to, like, I want my Trader Joe stop. I want to get I was going to say, weekends. how are you like, going to get your matcha? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to live in a world without pistachio milk is what I'm saying. <laughs> That's actually our little green men festival. We're just running around with little matchas. Well, okay, so would you go with me to that thing for sure? A thousand percent. I love, here's the thing. Okay. I love any small town lore. Like any I love that regardless. Eat it up. But I, I eat it up. I just so you know I'd be there. And I'm also I love this was so such a treat. Thank you so much. Like I love extraterrestrial yeah. alien stuff. I think it's so interesting. Space. We really haven't done one like this. Out. We should do we should do a really deep dive episode, a heavy deep dive episode on like the mysteries of space. We'll do that. We'll save that for another episode. But I would real love quick that. before I let you go, I have to ask you for the creepers once and for all. How do you feel about this story? Do you think it was the work of fiction or do you think there's some truth here? This answer will define your life <laughs> for all of your days. I'm literally going to if I feel like if I say the wrong thing tonight, I'm going to have like a thousand owls descend upon my apartment. I'm just going to have to no. shoot out all the windows because, you know, wait, you don't actually that, believe the owl theory, do you? There's owls you... that live in this tree and I see them and it freaks me out and I forget what they are. <laughs> no. 100 percent. OK, so There's you have a very specific family. personal experience. Yeah. You see them um, and you're like, oh, my God, is that an owl or is like, that something else? Can they yeah, really look so? Night. You can ambiguous see little, in the dark. You can see their little eyes. Yeah. And you're like, wait, what is that? But it, I, I don't you hear think... the flapping. The fact that you just said that. that and you wouldn't I have hear to the flapping? imagine it. And I'm literally imagining the flapping is sending shivers down my spine. Creepers, <laughs> I want you to know the very first thing I saw this morning. <laughs> I'm pulling it up a... right now. I'm pulling it up now. <laughs> was a video. If, if you're a new listener, I have a really intense fear of birds. The very first thing I see at 6.45 a.m. this morning is a video from Silas that says, oh, my God, this is going to send you or something. And it was a crow in a window 
just like coming inside, like talking to. The Did you listen to it person. with audio? I was gonna yes. say I was like speaking. She's like, well, the woman who's like she's like talking to it in Spanish. She goes, "Hola, hola," and all of a sudden it goes, "Hola." Hold on, <laughs> give me a second. I'm gonna play it. <laughs> I she goes, hola. Oh, hola. I so the fact that you said did that, that was strike two for you. And then you mentioned okay, flapping. Okay. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. But to answer your question, mm-hmm. I do think there's I I believe that there's life outside of Earth for sure, or some mm-hmm. sort of other type of creature of some sort. So I fully believe that this could have been. But I and I also think yes, and I think that it's probably a U.S. government cover up in some capacity. Interesting. I mean, I'm willing to if it is a U.S. government thing, a test, or even like a terrorist. If it's like an outside government thing, I'm kind of enamored by like the description of the tech. But if I can get on board with yeah. that, I would side with you. But for me, I'm all in. Mm, I'm like, mm-hmm. all in. It takes nothing for me. <laughs> I could see a shooting star, you. and I'm I could see a shooting star too, and I'm like, they're coming <laughs> <laughs> someday, maybe. <laughs> and with that, creepers, we are gonna say farewell. Thank you so much for listening to a Friday episode of Creep Time. We loved having you around. This was so fun. Yeah, to do a a alien episode. We haven't done one actually. This I really know. is like our first deep dive into it. So, so fun. Yeah. So if you want to hear another episode like this, or if you have a case suggestion, please let us know in the reviews or on YouTube. Make sure to follow or subscribe and hit that bell notification. I swear to God. And we're going to catch you next week on an episode. Should we say goodbye, Stu? Bye, creepers. Bye, everybody. (laughs) See you later.